G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, joining us as we do on a Monday for an update on this week's political agenda, Martin Isles, who is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be back again. And I might say, Martin, where you are today in Canberra, it is the Queen's birthday public holiday. So thank you so much for uh, taking some time to talk with our listeners once again. Hey, let's let's quickly just touch on the, the Queen's birthday honours list, given that it is the holiday today. A um, whole bunch of names on there. Any thoughts on, on any of the, the front runners uh, who've been getting the publicity? Well, I think it's a, it's a nice list in some ways. I, I think um, uh, there's a number of Christians on the list, uh, which is good to see. So Tony Abbott um, was made a companion of the Order of Australia, and that's uh, no small honour. But, but there's a, 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 a Christian man. And uh, also Ron Boswell, um, he's, uh, he's received an honour as well. He was a, uh, the father of the House in the Senate for some time, uh, of the, a member of the Nationals, and uh, the father of the House, of course, is the longest-serving senator, and he was there for many, many years, I think, by well over four decades. And so Ron Oswell is also uh, actually a very, very sincere Christian man, and uh, he stands for a lot of good causes. He was one of the most pro-life people in the parliament for a long time. Um, you have Gra- um, um, uh, Bruce Baird as well, uh, so that's uh, former Premier of New South Wales, Mike Baird's father and politician, uh, and others as well. So it's, uh, the thing I noticed looking through that is something I noticed the other day. I was in a conversation with somebody and they said, oh, you know, who would the Christian world leaders be? And uh, I thought to myself, well, there's Scott Morrison. And of course, there's, um, uh, there's David Hurley, who is the governor general here in Australia. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Our two sort of most senior leaders are Christians. And I thought, I wonder how many other countries that's true of. And it's true of very few. I mean, you have Queen Elizabeth II, um, you have uh, Victor Orban in Hungary. You've got Mike Pence, Vice President of the USA. Uh, you have Angela Merkel of Germany, who is actually quite outspoken about being a person of faith. Uh, and other than that, I'm really coming up with very little in the Western world. And so it's quite unusual to see these sorts of things in Australia. And, and when we get um, a little despondent about the direction of things, I think we have also have much to be grateful for, uh, that there is still a very, very strong Christian influence in this country. Powerful insights to recognise those names and their Christian faith because somehow or other there does seem to be a prevailing disconnect and perhaps it's in ordinary believers who are part of churches that say, well, you know, here I am a Christian, Uh, I do these things personally, I have a personal faith, a personal salvation, but somehow or other there's this disconnect as to how influential that will be if you choose to roll your sleeves up and actually get involved in the nitty-gritty day-to-day and sometimes dirty work of being involved in helping to shape your community, helping to shape your society. But, you know, as you rattle off those names, those are people, they didn't discover their faith in their later years or when they came to power. Those things were bubbling along inside them and they were outworking themselves 
and they were then courageous enough to bring those values to the fore. That's an interesting thing that there is some form of disconnect, Martin. Yeah, there can be, but, you know, I think people should take heart. Christians are salt and light, as Jesus said, and it doesn't matter where we're placed, you know, we're the light of the world, the salt of the world, not of the church, not of the home, the world, and it's wherever we're placed by God, uh, and these people were placed in public life, uh, and I know particularly some of them on the list there did some really, really worthwhile things, and it's always messy and imperfect, and you always win some and you lose some. That's the world we live in, uh, but... Never underestimate the power of a Christian witness. And I know uh, a significant number of parliamentarians personally today who are very fine and strong Christian people. And yes, we don't get everything. And yes, you know, there are quote-unquote losses and wins and all that kind of thing. But the power of their Christian testimony in those places is real, cannot be underestimated. And simply by being there, they are that salt. They are that light. So we, we shouldn't be discouraged. God has a place for all of his people. Uh, and he he is still in the business of working in the world through people. And good to see those prominent Christian names really towards the top of the list when it comes to the Queen's birthday honours this weekend. Hey, Martin, you no doubt have been seeing the news reports and, you know, you flick the news on and, and there's all the images that come not only from America around the Black Lives Matter cause, uh, but here in Australia it's overflowed onto our streets over the weekend, uh, particularly like Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, big marches on the weekend. Some of those uh, were encouraged and some were not. Uh, What were your thoughts for those marches over the weekend? I think the marches are going to be a very uh, significant test because I would like to see if over the next two weeks there is a great outbreak of coronavirus cases. Um, If there's not, then uh, that tells us something. Um, I think a lot of us have been doing as the government says because we want to be good citizens um, and we are sort of taking them on at their word and on trust uh, about the dangers of coronavirus and second waves and all that kind of thing. It'll be very interesting to see. I think if there isn't a second wave that comes out of these protests, some of which were tens of thousands strong, uh, then we can safely say the whole thing's unnecessary and uh, that's a real shame. Um, so uh, that'll be interesting to watch. Now, the alternative, of course, is that there will be a crisis, uh, in which case some of the very people who were the strongest advocates for the lockdowns and so forth, because it is true that the further to the left people were politically, the more likely they were to be on board with that kind of a approach to managing coronavirus. Um, you know, uh, the, some of the same people who advocated for that will now be responsible for causing some very, very grave problems in society. So for me, the jury is out on, on what the influence of that will be. But I will say this about the protest. This is one of the many sins of identity politics, which is that the rule of law starts to break down because you start to say, well, OK, are you championing uh, an identity group uh, that is uh, politically, you know, uh, acceptable to champion, like, for example, the race issue. Are you championing black lives? Well, in that case, the law is not going to apply to you in the same way. So the rule of law breaks down. Here we are. We're not allowed to go to church. Um, we haven't been able to celebrate Anzac Day properly. Uh, we haven't been able to go to the funerals of loved ones. For example, I do have a family member who passed away during uh, coronavirus and couldn't go to the funeral. Now, all of that sacrifice, all of those challenges, and now what? Well, 30,000 people can stand in King George Square in Brisbane and protest Black Lives Matter. Why? Well, it actually is one of the many 
uh, insidious effects of identity politics. There are certain tribes and groups in society broken down by their identity, and the law simply doesn't apply to them in the same way anymore. And that's really, really worrying. It undermines the rule of law, and it actually undermines then the law itself, because everybody else sits back and goes, well, why should I do the right thing? Why should I follow the rules? Because if this is allowed to happen. So that was really sad that some premiers allowed that to take place, uh, and it should never have happened. I know there was one person in Sydney, uh, and I don't know all the details, uh, just uh, caught the story in passing, but he was holding up an All Lives Matter sign and was arrested by police. And I thought of this afterwards. Perhaps he was actually being protected by the police because uh, the idea of this identity politics and being on the street because black lives matter it really was about black lives and not all lives. And uh, the challenge here with the identity politics and the wedge that is then driven between uh, different coloured skin types, uh, that's pretty significant. What are your thoughts for that whole idea of all lives matter? Is that a good thing or is it not? Well, I think it's self-evidently a good thing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, of, of, of course, who could possibly uh, oppose it? It's interesting. Um, I think uh, in relation to this whole area of thinking, it's really important for Christians that if we are going to oppose racism, and nobody says that there is no racism, let's be clear about that. Um, you know, there is always, maybe it's a human evil, but there is always some racism, always. I think the West has done tremendously well by historical and global standards, to bring racism right, right down. But if Christians are going to oppose racism, we should lead that conversation with Christianity. We should not jump on the bandwagon of a radical Marxist movement which calls itself Black Lives Matter. We shouldn't jump on a bandwagon of a set of ideas that is actually anti-Christ. And I say that quite carefully because you can go to blacklivesmatter.com, you can click on their manifesto, you can read precisely what they are about, and it's not nice. Um, and these sorts of movements work insidiously. They lie about the statistics. They lie about the reality. They wildly exaggerate the situation in America. Um, with, uh, uh, you know, For example, they don't tell you that 25% of fatal police shootings are against, yes, the black community, but the black community accounts for more than half the homicides and even more of the robberies. And so their actual involvement with police and violent involvement with police is disproportionately higher than those shooting rates would suggest. Uh, also, police officers are actually 18 and a half times more likely to be shot by an African-American man than an African-American man is to be shot by a police officer. And so you've got to ask yourself, well, do blue lives matter? You know, because there's a problem there as well. And the movement tells those lies because it wants to agitate, it wants to divide, it wants to sow division. And it uses that division and that agitation and the violence and unrest and protest and looting and everything we've seen that follows to try to really just destroy the institutions of our society. That's what Marxism always seeks to do. But it also tells lies about our identity. It divides us into tribes. And it says, well, if a white man, a white police officer kneels on the neck of a black man, then all white people are guilty of racism. Then all black people are innocent and they can loot and they can riot and they can do as they please because they are innocent. Because a white police officer in a different city 
is kneeled on the neck of a black man who's not the same as the person looting, but it's tribal. It's everybody in groups. Well, that's not the Christian view of the world. The Christian view of the world is that you're responsible for your sin. You will be punished for your sin and judged for your sin. And that's, that's, that's the only appropriate thing. Um, and this police officer is being punished, is being judged. Uh, but here's the worst thing for me, is that this ideology lies about forgiveness. It says that there can be no forgiveness. There can only be endless reparations. There can only be endless repentance. There can only be a complete destruction of things as they are, and there can be no way to say sorry and to make right, except that we destroy everything. And I just hear the words of Jesus, you know, forgive as your heavenly Father has forgiven you. And as Christians, we have something far better. We have hope to bring into the world. We have answers to bring. We have a God who hates the sin of partiality. We have a God who says, love neighbor. And we can't breach any of those commands. We have a God who says, all were made in my image. Uh, And we have Christianity to bring to the conversation. And I think it's so foolish. It's so dangerous. And it's so wrong us as Christians to get on the bandwagon of a radical Marxist movement and push and further their agenda and destroy and divide when we have something far better to bring bring into the conversation. Martin, obviously headed for what could be a new segregation and that overflowing onto Australian shores here too, even the new potential for an apartheid where you've got different racial values at loggerheads with one another. Let me ask you, though, before we move on from this topic, because it's so important, the idea that there will be common sense people in Australia and indeed in America who are looking for a meaningful, unifying narrative. And we would say that the Christian narrative is unifying. And and for listeners to this conversation today, just knowing that Vision is broadcasting into something like 40 communities where it's predominantly Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. And, uh, and so uh, they'll know that our heart is about uh, a level of uh, peace between uh, races. But what are your thoughts here for a proactive moving forward, Martin, with a unifying narrative that we have, given that we know God? Yeah, look, I think God is colorblind, uh, and I think that that is the only Christian approach to anything. It's interesting. Someone asked me a while ago, and they were arguing with me. They said, how many of your staff would be racial minorities, you know, trying to catch me out, me to say, well, none or something. And, you know, I had to sit down and think really hard about the answer to that question. Not because I didn't have any staff that were racial minorities. I ended up with quite a few when I actually made the list. But I had, it had never occurred to me to think of my staff in terms of their race. It never, never, it never entered my head that they were this race or that race or not. And so I had to really think about it and ended up coming up with quite a, a number. Uh, and, and I think that's really, really important because God made man and woman in his image. And that was that. And the gospel goes to every tribe, every tongue, Every people and every nation, says the scriptures, and the gospel makes us all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, And also the gospel was preached from the very start in the book of Acts. It was preached in tongues so that everybody who was there, and there was many, many, many languages listed, everybody there heard it in their own language because there is that vision in Revelation of all those people from all the nations standing and worshipping God. That is the greatest equality in the world. To use the old-fashioned language, the gospel goes to whosoever will. And us, as, you know, there's a reason that uh, Christian churches are some of the most successful multicultural environments in the world. And so, yes, God's heart hates 
racism. We as Christians are totally colorblind, and we as Christians go into the world with the same equal message and the same equal hope for every human creature. And do you know what? It's actually the hope that they need. The problem is not power. The problem is sin. You know, the answer is not um, endless rage against the establishment. The answer is Jesus Christ and the hope that he gives, uh, not the resentment that, that, that comes with the Marxism and so on. So, you know, as Christians, we've just got to keep leading with this message, keep proclaiming this message. And, you know, when that message gets a hold in society, as we saw with the end of slavery and things like that, racism goes the way of the dinosaur. It dies. Well, Martin, two weeks in, after the marches on the weekend, we'll be looking to see whether there is a, sp- a, sp- a spike in COVID-19 and, of course, the ongoing question there. And uh, what we've been talking about over the past few weeks, uh, the idea that these lockdowns that persist against churches, uh, well, if there is not a severe outbreak, second wave of COVID-19, then churches need to be allowed to open significantly. And uh, just quickly finishing on that, because our time has run out, but uh, but this is one of the challenges here to get churches back and worshipping face-to-face. Yes, I know. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And I, I think one of the challenges we have is to try and walk that line between saying, look, we're going to do what the government asks us to do, because that's what the Bible says we should do on the whole. Uh, and we've got to be good citizens. And, you know, we can't be agitators. We don't want to be written up as, you know, uh, lawbreakers and troublemakers and all that. But at the same time, we're sitting back and especially in two weeks time, if we see that there isn't a huge wave of coronavirus cases, uh, we're going to be sitting back and saying, hey, maybe we should agitate to have this process sped up. So that's kind of where ACL is. We're talking to governments. We're trying to, uh, we're trying to keep the pressure up without being unruly citizens. It's a difficult tightrope to walk. I think we're doing okay at the moment, but that pressure's going to stay on because I'd like to get back to church. And frankly, I think that if there is something that's essential in society, you know, it's not people protesting it's, it's, it's actually gathering to worship God, and uh, it's important that we continue to push that forward. And we're missing a whole dimension of that face-to-face gathering, of the gathering around the communion table. Those things are so powerful and important. Martin Isles, Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, thanks so much for your update today. Let me point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website where you can get insights into developments and those concepts and commentary on the things that are happening day to day, acl.org.au. That's acl.org.au. Martin, thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.